So Father, we do just thank you for the amazing testimonies of your power that transforms people's lives. And, and Lord, this morning as your word is preached, we continue to just pray for your spirit to come down more and more and more upon us, that we might be filled to overflowing with the love of Christ. And we trust you for a wonderful, wonderful time to continue this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Please find your seats. It's always difficult. I feel like I just want to preach off the back of that. Um, I know the children have to go out, so if you could please quickly take the kids out and just return as quickly as you can. I'm going to do the announcements, and uh, then we're going to minister this morning. It's great to see you. Really wonderful to see you all. And uh, if you are visiting this morning, I want to just welcome you and say it's fantastic to have you this morning. And I trust uh, as we have some coffee later that you will also enjoy fellowship together. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to preach first and do the announcements later. Is that all right? Can you please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4? And if you can record the message, please, from now. And really, just looking back on the last six months, I have to say that I think God has been very gracious to us, very kind to us. When I think of the last six months and I see the privilege that we've had having people like Michael Eaton, Artie Kendall, and other people in this church that have preached the word, I have to say I think the preaching of the word this year has been absolutely revelationary, revolutionary, and personally has, has filled me with an absolute joy. And I trust it's been the same for you. I think God has done amazing things this year already. And uh, I'm going to continue just walking through this thing of Galatians with you. And we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Um, I've preached, I think, five times now out of Galatians, in, and excluding what other people have preached. And I really felt God give me this word for this morning out of Galatians 4. So before we read the portion, I just want to say this. We're not teaching this book. We're not teaching these things uh, because we want to grow full of knowledge. We, we, we are teaching the, these things out of Galatians because we want you to become more and more like Jesus. I want to become more and more like Jesus. We don't want to fill our heads with information. We want to fill our hearts with revelation of Jesus and who he is. And surely that's the goal of all teaching. It's not to fill our minds with stuff, but to fill our hearts with revelation about who Christ is. And we've talked for a while, the last six months, about crossing over into a new season. And I want to say we have crossed over. We're already beginning to walk in something of that. And part of that transition is to also, we want to see the priesthood released. We want to see you, every single one of you, move into the fullness of what God has for you. That means we're going to have to lead differently. And we are trusting God to show us as we go how we can lead differently to facilitate the priesthood of all believers. Amen? But another aspect of that transition of moving into the new thing that God has for us is that we are rooted in a theology of sovereign grace in our lives. And part of what we've been doing over the last six months is trying to bring people back to that simple little phrase that we've put on our webpage, rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. That's what we want to say. We want to root every single family as best as we can. We want you to be rooted in Christ. As best as we can preach, we want to point you to Jesus. Amen. Rooted in Christ. That means that we understand by revelation what it means to be justified by faith. And uh, in Galatians, God, call, uh, through Paul, calls back the Galatian church and says, you've, you've drifted off from what you first believed. And I love what R.T. Kendall said. He said there was a spiritual backsliding. They kind of had allowed other things to crowd in on themselves. And I, I feel as a church, God is calling us back too to that revelation of the completed work of Christ on the cross as a foundation for our lives. And we need to encourage each other in that, that we come back to that sovereign re, uh, revelation of grace in our lives, the completed work of the cross. And let's look out for, in our own lives and encourage each other in our doctrine. Let's watch our own lives and our own doctrine closely that we too don't subtly backslide and allow other things to subtly drift in our lives towards something else other than the cross of Christ. Amen. I know this is a long 
introduction, but um, it's with a point, all right? The gospel is good news, and as RT said, it seems too good to be true. I want to encourage you again, get online and listen to those messages over and over and over again. They will change your life. And then he said this. He said, the theology of justification by faith is the hardest thing to maintain as a Christian. There are so many things that crowd in on us and try to rob out of our hearts that revelation that we are free in Christ and He has done all that we need on the cross. Amen. Let's be those that wholeheartedly pursue the freedom of Christ that is bought for us without giving in to the pressure of adding anything else, anything else to the power of what the Christ has done for us on the cross. Anything else that we add will bring us subtly under the law again. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians 5. Let that become the anthem of our hearts this year. It is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. That's the story of Galatians. That's what Paul was trying to do in calling the Galatian churches back to that revelation of Jesus that he, already, that he originally preached for them. And then I love what R.T. said out of that. He said, uh, sanctification is the theology of gratitude. Don't you love that? Allowing God to transform us by the power of His Spirit is just simply a theology of gratitude, saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. We are so grateful for what you've done. We wholeheartedly embrace the work of your Spirit in our lives. We just want to change. We want to be in love with Jesus. We want, to, we, want to, we want to follow Him with all of our hearts. And I want to encourage you. I said this to some guys this week. You can do every course that you like on a, how to have a perfect marriage. You can have 15 points of what you should do as a husband and 15 points for what you shouldn't do as a husband and vice versa. And unless you love Jesus, unless you passionately are loving Jesus, you're just going to come under guilt and condemnation that you're not doing those things. But if you passionately love Jesus with all of your heart, you'll do them anyway. What did Michael Eaton say? Walk in the Spirit deliberately and you'll fulfill the law accidentally. Just get on with loving Jesus, and you won't want to have an affair. Just get on with loving Jesus, and you won't drink too much. Just get on and love Jesus with all of your heart, and your life will come into order. You don't, that's why the subtext of what I've been preaching is go on, enjoy your bacon sandwich. Enjoy your bacon sandwich. Don't let anyone tell you you must eat kosher food, because you don't have to. We are free in Christ. That's the whole point of Galatians. And now he's all intense, so I'm trying to relax. <laughs> Martin Luther, he said, this is my epistle, I am married to it. John Bunyan, he said, other than the book, other than the Bible, he said, Luther's commentary on Galatians was the book that I've seen that most fits a wounded conscience. The book of Galatians, the revelation of grace. So with that as introduction, let's look at Galatians chapter 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I'm going to read the first seven verses says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we are children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Dad, Father. And you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Can you just say, I am no longer a slave, but a son. And I pray that that revelation will come into every single heart this morning. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons. What an amazing truth. What an amazing truth. We are sons. We are heirs. Co-heirs with Christ. But I've seen as we've been preaching these things, that one of the things that stops people from moving fully into that and what that means for them is that some labor under spirit of rejection. Some labor under spirit of rejection. And there's a cause for that, but I want to give you good news this morning. There's also a cure for that. 
And we're going to look at that this morning. And so I pray this morning, Father, I pray right now as I teach these things that you've stirred in my heart, I pray by your Holy Spirit you bring freedom to every single one of us. For those that labor under any condemnation, any spirit of rejection this morning, whether they even know that or not, whether it's a subconscious thing deep in their hearts that they haven't even recognized. Maybe some of us can see it on their lives and they can't even see it for themselves. Father, I pray this morning that you'd bring revelation by your Spirit. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in this place there would be freedom this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit transforming lives. And that's simply where we put our trust, in you and in you alone. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. So what do we mean? How, how, how can we define rejection? Uh, well, what I'm talking about is something in your emotions. It's uh, in your heart. It's an attitude, and really it's a failure to relate to other people. That's what rejection, the spirit of rejection brings. And pe- perhaps for me, the, one of the best ways to try and understand is always to consider the opposite of what the word means and helps you to understand what the word is. One obvious opposite to uh, rejection is acceptance. It's an obvious word. So you could define rejection then as the opposite of acceptance. We could choose a number of synonyms. Those are words that mean the same thing. And uh, help, that might help to, to describe what I'm trying to say. And some of those things would be obvious things like the feeling of being unwanted, the feeling of being excluded, the feeling of being worthless, of not really belonging. Somehow you always feel like you're on the outside looking in, never knowing how to get on the inside. You always feel that there's like an inner circle that you are somehow not part of. Whether there is or there isn't is irrelevant. You feel like there's some kind of inner thing that you don't have any handle on. Well, that's, that's what I mean. That's the spread of rejection manifesting itself in your life. And rejection, I, I believe rejection is one of the most common and deep-rooted wounds in human beings. And there's a myriad reasons for it being there. And I think there are uncounted millions of people in our nation and across the world that have this problem of rejection. And I trust that as many of you hear this message this morning, that you'll help to identify it in your own life if it's there so God can deal with it. Because the problem is, if you don't recognize that it's there, it can never be dealt with. But if you recognize that it's there, God can deal with it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to come to a point of saying, yes, Lord, I recognize it's in me. There's a beautiful portion in Isaiah 54. I want you to go there, please. Verse 4 to 6. And Isaiah here uses an example, uh, and he's using the example of God speaking to his people Israel, And he uses this image of a wife being rejected by a husband. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And it says this, fear not. Can I just say that over all of you? Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. Amen? I'm so glad that God doesn't remember this, the stupid things I did in my youth. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The, the God of the whole earth as he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off says your God. What an amazing picture. He has this picture of a wife who marries young, only be to, re- to be rejected later in her life by her husband. How many of you know of a situation like that? I know dozens of people married young, divorced later in life, and vice versa. Perhaps you know uh, in your family, perhaps there's a husband who's been rejected by his wife after a period of being married young. And this, this point in Isaiah, uh, this passage in Isaiah mentions two things that are the result of rejection. One is shame, and the other is humiliation. And it repeats that. It says, don't worry. You're not going to suffer shame. You're not going to suffer humiliation. And those things go hand in hand with marital rejection. To have given yourself unreservedly to a person. I I know I've been married now for a while, 16 years. You give yourself unreservedly to that person. You give everything that you have. You are completely open. You fully are available to that person in every way. And then to have that person reject you, that is an incredible, incredible emotion that you have to undergo in your life. And that brings shame to your door. 
that brings humiliation to your door. And we can, in a sense, we experience those things ex- externally, but, but Isaiah does an amazing thing. He, ta- he points inwardly and he talks about a grieved spirit. He talks about other translations, if you read, they use other synonyms like a crushed spirit or a wounded spirit or a broken spirit. And all those things point into the deepest, deepest part of ourselves that we might not even recognize ourselves. Now, I want to say this to you. I'm not trying to get us all introverted, but the longer I lead a church and the longer I'm part of leading and helping people, the more I see this, that there are connections that go back Sometimes to childhood, that people, if they don't deal with them, they keep tripping them up as they're trying to move forward in their lives. And so I'm not calling for navel-gazing. I'm not calling for that at all. But what I am calling for is a radical look and saying, God, if there is a root that I need to cut off, I want to cut it off so I can move freely and fully into what God has for me. We've got to to be real. Is that clear? Proverbs 18, 14 says this, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. When your spirit is crushed, that is an awful, awful thing. Proverbs 15, 13, A glad heart makes a cheerful face. That's true. What's happening on the inside is reflected on your face. If you're happy on the inside, someone once said, let your face know. Isn't that true? If we are free and happy on the inside, it should affect our face. People should see it, see it. But the sorrow of heart, the spirit, by the sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Now, this is, the, this is the thing. I think a wounded spirit is difficult to define, but it's also difficult to diagnose. And sometimes I think our friends can help us to see that there's something in our own lives. Sometimes we blind to it ourselves. We can't even see it. It's like a blind spot. You can't see it. And sometimes God can help by the fellowship of believers, this beautiful thing called the church, God can help us to see things in our lives that need to be dealt with through the friendship of other believers. So I want to say that this thing of a wounded spirit goes deeper than the, the human mind. It goes deeper even than our memory. It's a, I think we can carry wounds deep within us that we're not even conscious of, that we've been covered up over years and years and years. And in our minds, we don't want to even face those things. Our memories somehow have blotted them out. But they are there, deep down in that place that we call the spirit of man. They, they, they are there. And sometimes they're things from our youth. Sometimes they're things that happened long ago. But we refuse to face them. And I believe the most common cause for that wounded spirit is rejection. This is a good news message, by the way, all right? So I'm just, the good news is coming, all right? You know, other examples, uh, Isaiah, we talked about that example that he uses from marriage, but other examples could be things like a lack of love from your parents, from both parents. Uh, God created us all with a deep desire to be loved and to express love to each other. It's part of what makes us human, is this amazing thing of love in our lives. And I know in my family, when I'm in a good place and I love my boys, they are happy. When I'm not in a good place and I don't love my boys, what happens? They start to get insecure, and you can see they're a little bit niggly with each other, and they kind of, there's a little bit of, in the house, there's just a little tension. Yeah, it's because I'm not transmitting love, and part of that is I need to receive love and know that I'm loved. When Helen and I are happy, our home is happy. When Helen and I are unhappy, our home is unhappy. When we're in uh, Chicago, I forget one of the preachers, I think it was... Uh, Tim Keller said this, you will never be happier than the unhappiest child in your home. Just the way it is as a parent. You will never be happier than the unhappiest child in your home. Powerful. It really is powerful. And as parents, let's love on each other so that our kids will grow up in a secure home. All right. So for me, Many who have not experienced love have grown up insecure, and many times the root of that is a wound of rejection. I heard this, this week an incredible story. Just, uh, I won't say who, but someone let us know that their, their child came back from, a little child came back from school and said one of her friends had told her that um, her mommy and daddy wanted to kill the baby that her mommy was carrying. And uh, said, well, 
you know, there are six or seven kids in the family already, and because of that, they just can't face another child. So this little child is aware that the, kids, the, the, the parents want to have an abortion. I mean, that speaks to me ultimately of rejection in a most powerful and graphic way. So it's not even, sometimes economic things can make people make silly decisions, and what does that release into family, a spirit of, reje- of rejection? Maybe you grew up in a family when one child received more affirmation than another. <laughs> it wasn't even a conscious thing. Maybe your f- father and mother, you felt like they had a favorite child. Anyone felt like that? And sometimes that can leave uh, this thing of rejection in our hearts, a deep-rooted thing. Both parents really did love you, but they didn't know how to express it. The point, my point in all of these little stories is that there are many causes of rejection in people's lives, but God can deal with all of them by what he's done through Jesus. That's the good news, and we're going to look at that now. So what are the results of, the, of rejection? I want to say I see a couple of things. Primary, primarily, primary area that I see rejection manifesting is an inability to receive love or communicate love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, we love because he, he has first loved us. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. We cannot love unless we ourselves have been loved first. And consequently, a person who's never been loved cannot transmit love. They are incapable of transmitting love and giving it away if they haven't received it themselves. And tragically, they can go from generation to generation. What do I mean by that? Well, let's just give an example. A little girl is born into a family where she doesn't experience love. She has a sense of rejection. She carries that deep within her. It's not even a verbalized thing. She carries that within her. One day she meets a man. She falls in love with a man. She has a child, a little girl herself. And because of that inability in her own life, that's, that thing that's happened deep within her, she cannot give love as the child needs. And the same little child, that next generation grows up with the same barrenness in them. My friends, it has to be broken over us, every single one of us, for the sake of of our own lives, but the sake of the generations that are to come. We have to trust God by the power of His Spirit to do it. So how do people react to rejection? I want to give you three little things that I think might be helpful. First, there's a person who gives in. That's the person who just says, I can't take it, life's too much. There's nothing really that I can do. Maybe that's not even, again, a verbalized thing, but it's in the heart. And what happens? There's a succession of negative emotions and attitudes that flow out of that starting point, and they normally develop in some kind of order like this. Out of rejection comes loneliness. Out of loneliness comes misery. Out of misery comes self-pity. Out of self-pity comes depression. Out of depression comes despair. Out of despair comes hopelessness. And ultimately, at the end of the line, if we give in to all of those things, the end point is suicide, and death. And the scripture says quite clearly, it is the devil who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And this is the tragedy that often when those emotions are rampant in us, there's a demonic force that comes upon upon our, our lives, and the devil has a foothold in our lives through those things, and it's this negative cycle that continues, and you can see people being sucked down into this blackness, and ultimately the devil wants to kill them. This is a good news message. Secondly, there are people that hold out. These are the people, kind of people that apparently don't give in. And there's, ultimately, there's a veneer that is built up. There's a, a defense mechanism in place. It's like a facade that covers up what's really going, this inner turmoil inside that person's going through. Often there can be like an indifference. It's like this person is walking on air. There's a superficial happiness in their lives. It's like they are talkative, uh, but they're covering up. You can just sense there's something that they're not letting you in on. It can be like a hollowness in the voice, like they're trying too hard. It's like, uh, it's like the lady who wears too much makeup. It's kind of, you know what I'm trying to say? It's just covering up something. You don't want to get to see the real person. Sorry, I'm not trying to be sexist, all right? And with that, there can also be like an aloofness. There's like this glass partition in the room, and you can't get past that somehow. You kind of feel like you don't even know what you're doing, but you can't get past this kind of veneer. And I want to say that that speaks, that shouts to me loudly that you are a person who doesn't know how to respond and give love because you've never received it yourself. 
And often you, when you're around that, you, you feel like you're not even sure what you've done wrong, but you always got the sense you've done something wrong. You can't, you can't get through that. It's a wounded spirit. What I'm trying to say, that inner attitude is expressed in this phrase, no one is ever going to get close enough to hurt me again. That's what it's saying. No one is ever going to get close enough. So I can put up this thing, I'm happy, whatever, but you're not going to get close to me because I'm not going to be hurt by anyone again. My, ba- my, my barrier is up. Thirdly, there's the person who fights back. <laughs> there's always the fighter, all right? The counter puncher, the one who comes, you throw a punch and they come back oof, even harder. But unfortunately, fighters, this is what happens with fighters, is that ultimately resentment comes. Resentment gives into hatred. Hatred gives into rebellion. And there's a scripture that says that actually rebellion and witchcraft are the same thing. They are twins. And this is very fascinating when you look back on the 60s. I think the 60s was an amazing, amazing time in, in, in some ways. But ultimately, the 60s is a very good expression of what I'm talking about. Because there was a generation of young people that grew up, and they went that way, giving into resentment, first of all. And ultimately, they gave into hatred. And there was rebellion, and society rebelled in every way. And it's interesting, when you go, rebellion goes together. What was the fascination in the 60s also was with with the Eastern mysticism, the occult, and witchcraft. That's ultimately what happens, is that if you give into rebellion, that's the way it goes. This is a good news message. It is. And what's interesting to me, in the 60s, often it wasn't people that were uneducated. A lot of the, what happened in America was there was a, it was a generation of educated young people that grew up, and they just in one way said, we've had enough. And what had they ultimately were giving expression to is what they longed for more than anything else was affirmation and love from parents who had not been able to give it. That's what they were saying, I've had enough of. I want that love of my parents. And I want to say, especially fathers, our responsibility is a huge one. To love on our families and our children as Christ has first loved us. Amen? I'm not getting you to, uh, I trust you're not hearing, I'm asking you to do stuff. I'm just saying, let's love Jesus. As we love Jesus, we're going to love on each other. Amen? Now for me, all three of those little things that I've given you are negative in this sense that they are, fench- they are essentially defensive. They are essentially defensive. They cover up what is internal. They are not positive reactions. Every single one of them is negative. None of them is a positive solution. And ultimately, if you give in to any of those three, you are giving the devil a foothold in your life that is going to destroy. That's what his purpose is. We do have a devil. He is a morating lion. And he does want to come and he wants to destroy. He'll do everything he can to destroy. But we have a father in heaven who is far greater far more lovely, and far more able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, hope for, or imagine. And that is the good news. His remedy, ultimately, the remedy for this is Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 61, you all know it so well, and Jesus quotes it in the New Testament. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Amen. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to those who are bound up. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. So if you have your, your heart is broken, I want to say to you this morning that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. That's the promise of God in that little phrase. That's God's promise to provide a remedy for rejection in your life. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. It comes through Jesus. It comes through the cross. And there's this wonderful portion that God points us to again in Isaiah 53, verse 4. And it says, of, these portions speak of the Messiah. It says, surely he has, he has borne our grief. Surely he has carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Amen. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Amen. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every way, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. This is a good news message. This is the gospel. And I just want to say one simple thing out of that little portion. At the cross, in fulfillment of that prophecy, a divine exchange took place. Aren't you so grateful for that? At the cross, a divine exchange took place. Jesus took upon himself all the evil that was due to us that we might receive in turn by faith all the good that was due to him. That's the gospel. And I want to give you five little things that are details of that. One, Jesus was punished for our sin that we might receive forgiveness. Amen. Thank you, Talks. (laughs) Two, he was wounded for our sickness that we might receive healing. Amen. Thank you, Eunice. I'm glad you agree with me. Thirdly, he was made sin that we might be made righteous. Okay, so you're the only one who agrees again. That's good. He was made a curse that we might receive the blessing. Ah, getting it now. Well done. And five, he died our death that we might share his life. Amen. Amen. That's what happened on the cross. The good news is even better than that. Because beyond that, Jesus also bore our rejection on the cross. So those five things are absolutely wonderful. But even more than that, he bore our rejection. And how do we know that? Because we look at Isaiah Chapter 53 and verse 3 of Isaiah, and it says, He was rejected by man, and finally he was rejected by God. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He took those things on himself, and he took all that, the rejection that you might face in your life, he took it upon himself. And ultimately, We read in Matthew 27, the first uh, 45 to 51, that amazing portion where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, an amazing, amazing thing has happened. It's the first time Jesus has prayed and his father has not heard him. It's God has at that moment turned his eyes, turned his ears away from his son. And why does he do that? Well, he does... At that t- he does that because right at that time, fa- the Father God in heaven is identifying with our sins. The attitude of Father God in heaven towards Jesus was the attitude of God's righteousness towards sin. It's the n- refusal of fellowship. It's the refusal and complete, utter rejection of sin. And at that moment, he cannot look upon his son. He's taking the fullness of our sin upon him. And he didn't, Jesus did not endure that for his sake but because he'd become a sin offering for us. That's why he endured it. And so I want to, for a moment, ask you to imagine that awful darkness, that loneliness, that sense of absolute abandonment that Jesus felt at that moment, abandoned by men, abandoned by his friends, and ultimately abandoned by his Father in heaven. But look at the consequence. The consequence of that action is immediate. It's absolutely dramatic, and I'm spitting all over the place. I can see it in the lights here. At that moment, what does it say in the scripture? It says, at that moment, the temple, the curtain is ripped in two. At that absolute moment of Jesus identifying fully with our sin on the cross, instantly the barrier between God and man is removed and the way is open for us all to come without fear, without shame, without rejection, without guilt. Jesus bore the fullness of our rejection, our shame, our guilt, that we might experience his acceptance. That is the good news of this gospel. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, lovely portion, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father, the Lord of our Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the beloved. It was God's eternal purpose before eternity began that you and I might become His children, that you and I might become His sons and daughters. And that could only be achieved through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus did that, He bore the fullness of our sin and suffered for our, our rejection, and He opened up the way 
for our acceptance. I want to say this radically at this. At that period, that moment, instantly, Jesus lost his status as God's son that we might gain the status of God's sons and daughters. Just for that moment. That's a powerful thing. So then how can we move practically into this acceptance that Jesus has already purchased for us? Well, I want to say there are four things I think we should implement. And again, these are not to earn our salvation, but they are to move into what God has for us. The first R.T. Kendall amazingly taught a couple of weeks ago. The first is total forgiveness. That's the first step. To absolutely, totally, completely forgive everyone that has hurt us or rejected us, whether we are conscious of those people or not. And if you haven't listened to that message of RTs, I'm asking you, I'm begging you to get online and listen to it. It is the foundation of what I'm speaking about. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have suffered anything, if, uh, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Forgive in order that God would forgive your trespass. This is all inclusive. And it, I want to say, I think it implies especially in our attitudes towards our parents. And often they have unconsciously caused problems of rejection in our lives. And I always say I'm so grateful for my mom and dad. They weren't perfect mom, moms and dads. But neither am I. And I, I want my son to forgive me for the things I've done that have caused hurt in their lives already. Don't you want to have the same forgiveness extended to you that you want for, to, uh, people to extend to you? We're so quick to want forgiveness from others, but we're so slow to extend it ourselves. Ephesians 6 says this, Honor your father and mother. The first command with the promise, eh? Honor your father and mother so it might go well with you and that you might live long in the land. Honor your mom and dad, imperfect as they are. Let's totally forgive. Secondly, I want to ask that you would come to the cross and lay down all the things that rejection has brought to your door. What does that mean? Bitterness, resentment, hatred, that sense of not wanting to speak to people. If you nourish those things in your heart, it will destroy and poison your whole life. I want to say this, resentment and bitterness are things that make us feel justified, don't they? Ah, I, I should be feeling this. You know what they've done to me? I, I want to tell you what they've done to me. <laughs> Just give me half an hour. Just give me five minutes. I'll tell you all the mean things that anyone has ever done to me, and it's, I'm going to feel justified. It's going to make me feel good. You know what it is? It's you drinking poison and killing yourself. Let's bring those, th those things. Resentment and bitterness are things that none of us can afford. Let us bring them to the cross. Let's lay them down. Let them die. Let God put them to death in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, I want to say God can do much, but that's one thing you've got to do. I can't do that for you. No one else can do that for you. You have to come yourself to the foot of the cross and say, I choose, Lord, to lay these things down. I choose to give into that blade of your cross in my heart. Let these things die in me. This is a good news message. Thirdly, believe what God has said in his word. Believe what God has said. Is, it's an act of faith. Accept that you are accepted in Christ. I don't want to treat you like children, but can you say that? Accept that you are accepted in Christ. I accept that I'm accepted in Christ. That is the foundation of this. When we read in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 4, it's God's purpose was from eternity to us make us his children. That's what his purpose was. And that was made possible through the death of Jesus. And we have to believe that. Believe that God wants you to be his child. He will never turn you away. When we come to him in Jesus, we are the objects of his personal favor. We are the apple of his eye. He doesn't have any second class children. We are not held at a distance. When Jesus walks into the room, he embraces us. He loves us. He, his arms are open wide. He doesn't stand there and wait for us to come to him. That's like we do with so many people. Now, if they greet me, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll respond. No, no, no. Jesus, his arms are open wide. We are the apple of his eye. We are the objects of his special attention, his special love, his, his special favor, his 
Protection is provision. Reckon those things true. Fourthly, sorry? You want to add something? I accept, I'm accepted. Amen. Fourthly, accept yourself. <laughs> accept yourself. That's the fourth step, and many times I think it's the hardest thing to do. Why? Because if you like me, you look back at the record of your life, and you look back at your failures, you look back at your false starts, how you failed other people, what you've done that's been hurtful to others. You can look back sometimes even on a broken marriage, children that have gone astray, things that went wrong, perhaps final dis financial uh, disaster, and you inevitably, failure is the big word that you see. Well, I want to say right this over all of us, God labels you son, God labels you daughter, not failure. Accept yourself because God has accepted you. When you come to Christ, you're a new creation. And if that's what the scripture says. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And there's a beautiful little thing that I discovered this week in Ephesians 2.10. As I was just researching for this. It, 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 Paul uses that phrase, we who are in Christ are God's workmanship. It's wonderful because the Greek, the original Greek word there is poema, P-O-E-M-A, from which we get the word poet. And it's like God is saying, you are a, a masterpiece of my creation. You are an artistic masterpiece of my creation. And that is, a, if you're criticizing that, you're criticizing his workmanship. You're saying, God, it's not good enough for me. No, 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 you are a masterpiece of his hand. Accept yourself, just as you are. If you're like me with no hair, accept that. Some of us are short, some of us are tall, some of us are round, some of us are thin. Accept yourself. Love who God has made you to be. You are an amazing handiwork of the Most High God. And then, finally, it's wonderful that we reconcile to the Father, isn't it? But the fifth thing, my friends, is this. Find acceptance of God's people. Find the acceptance of God's people. The tagline of this church is rooted in Christ, planted in family, and fruitful in life. That means you find your place in the body. As Christians, we are never isolated individuals. Never. It is not found in the Scripture anywhere. And my, the, the grievance of my heart, and I'm sure many people's, we see Christians who claim to be saved just on their own thing, doing their own thing, meeting just with their family in their homes and saying, this is, this is the church of the redeemed. It is not the church of the redeemed. The church of the redeemed always finds its fullness in community. We are always, the relationship that we have with Jesus is beautiful. And we are always brought into relationship with fellow believers. Always. Relationship is the one of the ways that we work out our acceptance in a day-to-day -day way. We are accepted by our Father in heaven. That's the most important step. But after that, there's acceptance that has to find expression in relationship with fellow believers. All of us. This is a good news message, all right? And Paul says that over and over in the New Testament. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, For as one body has many members, the members do not all have the same function. So though we, though many, are one body in Christ and indiv individually members of one another. Did you ever see that little phrase? It says we are members of one another. We belong to all the others. That's what it's saying. We can never find full satisfaction, full peace, or full acceptance apart from all the other members. That's the beauty of this thing. And uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 and says in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong, it wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So you might be a foot, you might be a hand, you might be an ear, an eye, whatever, but find your place in the body. I love the other picture that the New Testament gives, and I am drawing this to a close now. And that it gives the, the picture of Christians as belonging to one single family. We are all members of one 
and the same family. And Jesus, the greatest prayer he taught us to pray begins with what? Our Father. Well, there's two simple little words, our and Father. Well, the first thing that the word Father tells us is that we all have a common Father. Amen? And secondly, the word our tells that he's just not my Father in heaven. He's yours, and he's ours together. Our Father in heaven. That's community. That's not just me, my relationship with the Father. No, that's very important. But it's our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That implies, our Father, implies that this family has a mega amount of children. Yes, it does. It's beautiful. It's got children of every race, creed, color, description, every single tribe on the planet are members of this family. It's only when we get related in the family that our acceptance becomes effective horizontally. Vertically accepted with God, absolutely, and horizontally accepted with members of God's family. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 19. He says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, friends, if you feel like an alien or foreigner, I want to say you're not really part of the family. Because Paul says, Scripture says, you're part of the family. If you're always feeling like you don't fit in, well, then there's some things that have to change. Because we are all members of that one family, God's household. And when we first started this church, God gave us a beautiful promise out of Psalm 68, verse 6. It simply says, Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation, God sets the lonely in families. Ah, that is beautiful. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. My friends, I've tried to preach the good news this morning. I really have. And I do want you to respond. Because I feel like for me, this is a key for us to move fully into the fullness of what God has for us as a church. We've got to leave some things behind. Can't take them into the future. If we truly are going to become a church that loves each other, that is unified by the power of the Spirit, there are some things that just have to die in us. So I am going to ask you, I am going to ask you, if you, through what I've preached this morning, know that there's some roots of rejection in your life that need to be dealt with, I want to ask you this morning, before God, to totally forgive those people. Secondly, I want to ask you to consciously come before the cross this morning and say, Lord, my bitterness, my hatred, my resentment, those feelings that I have, I choose to lay them at the cross this morning. I choose to let them die. Why don't you put them to death in me? Thirdly, that you would say, Lord, I believe what you say in your word about me. I'm accepted. I'm accepted in Christ, that I'm the apple of your eye. I reckon that true this morning. No more doubting of it. No more questioning of it. I'm your son. That's what your word says. I'm your daughter. That's what your word says. Fourthly, that you'd accept yourself. Warts and all. Don't beat up on yourself anymore. Allow God to come and do that in you this morning. And that fifthly, you'd find your place in this family. For as long as God has called you here, that you'd find your place in this family. That you'd be content to be an eye, an ear, a toe, a big toe, a thumb. You know what the amazing thing is? Is the thumb is the most important thing. It's the most, on your hand, it doesn't look pretty cool, does it? It's not like a beautiful face or anything. Without your thumb, you can't grip anything. You can't hold anything. Your hand is powerless. Perhaps you feel like the thumb. Well, you have a most important function. I want to ask you, if you want to respond in any of those areas, I want to ask you to stand right now, and I'm going to pray for you. When you know you need to put some things to death, and we're going to worship together and break bread out of that. But I do want you to respond this morning. And I'm doing it consciously, looking at you. I'm not going to say with every eye closed, well, I think this thing we need to say, yeah, Lord, I put my hand up. I'm responding this morning. I want you to put these things to death by the power of the Spirit. I want you to stand with me now. I'm going to pray. And I, believe me, I'm the first one standing.
prepared. You guys want to get ready, please. Let's just lift our hands. Father, I thank you for this dear church. I thank you for these people. Lord, the longing of our hearts is that we would move fully into what you have for us. But we know too, Lord, we have to lay some things at the cross. And we come, Lord. We stand before you this morning. We say, Lord, we choose to forgive. Right now, in this moment, anyone that has hurt us, any word that's been spoken of us, anything from our past that is in the way. We choose to bring to the cross this morning, Lord, any feelings of anger, bitterness, anything. We choose to come and lay those things at the cross this morning. We choose to believe this morning, Lord, what you have said of us in your word. We thank you for the promises that are over our lives, that before eternity began, you had predestined for us, you had called us to be sons and daughters. And we reckon that true this morning. We choose to look to the power and the truth of your word, ignoring every, any other thing that forces itself in on our vision. We look to Christ. We look to the cross this morning. We look to what you have done. We accept that. And we thank you for it this morning. And God, we accept ourselves. We thank you for who you've made us to be. We thank you that we are the apple of your eye. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Father in heaven. You have no favorite children. I thank you. Welcome. You welcome us all. You welcome us all with open arms. You don't have favorites. I thank you for that this morning, Lord. Every single person in this house this morning would know that they are the apple of your eye. They are not second class. They're not second rate. There's nothing they could do for the rest of their lives that would make you love them more than you do right now. And I pray for this body. It would find our place, our place that you have designed for us, whatever that would be. And Lord, we are satisfied with who you've made us. We are, we are thankful for who you've made us to be. We bless you now, Lord Jesus, for your goodness to us. Perhaps you are here this morning and you've never, ever made a response to the living Christ. Perhaps you've never heard this morning that Jesus came to fully take upon his body your sin that deserved full punishment. And the Bible says this. It says quite simply this. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, your sins are forgiven and eternity with him is assured. That's the gospel. <laughs> That's the good news. If you've never heard that this morning, I want to give you opportunity to respond. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. I want to